Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Really wild day yesterday in the Justice Department in Washington. Prosecutors there had recommended seven to nine years in prison for President Trump's close friend and confidant, Roger Stone. Then Trump took to Twitter to complain about the recommendation. And shortly after, higher-ups at the Department of Justice said they'd undercut and revise that sentence recommendation. Then came the exodus. All four prosecutors who were handling the Roger Stone case withdrew from it, and one quit his job altogether. So what does this say about the independence of the Justice Department in 2020? That is where we begin the conversation today. And joining us to talk about what happened is Barbara McQuaid. She's a law professor at the University of Michigan and the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Barb, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be with you. Yeah. So let's start with your reaction to yesterday's news. Have you ever seen something like this happen in the Justice Department before? No, I haven't. And um, I, I think it's a really dark day at the Department of Justice. I heard from a lot of friends and colleagues who are former DOJ employees, assistant U.S. attorneys, prosecutors, who are all really shocked by it. And I think the part of it that is most shocking is it seems very clear that the change in position came only after President Trump tweeted a tirade that it, the sentence was too long, that it was uh, very unfair, that it was a miscarriage of justice. Um, the prosecutors filed their sentencing memo on Monday. They sought a sentence that was within the sentencing guidelines, which is the presumptive place that you start in imposing a sentence. And based on the egregious misconduct of Roger Stone, really no reason to go below that number. And uh, no doubt in a high-profile case like this, they would have briefed the U.S. attorney. They would have briefed the Department of Justice. It would have been known in advance by William Barr. And then they filed that public document. Um, The only thing that happened between then and that moment and the next day when they filed, uh, the U.S. attorney filed a new sentencing memo asking for a lower sentence was Trump's tweets. And so it, it very strongly suggests that it is the president who was calling the shots at the Department of Justice, which is why I think those four career prosecutors resigned from the case, and one of them even resigned from the Department of Justice. So let's talk a little about how this is supposed to work, because I'm not sure that everybody quite gets the way the Justice Department is configured, in at least in its relationship to the presidency. The president appoints the attorney general of the United States, and technically he is the attorney general's boss. What is wrong with the president expressing his opinions then about criminal cases, the way that the sentencing recommendations go, or who is going to be prosecuted or not? Why is there supposed to be a separation between the DOJ and the White House? You're right about the appointment process. The president appoints the attorney general and the U.S. attorneys all around the country, including in the District of Columbia. But since Watergate, it has been the norm at the Justice Department to keep separate the, the decisions that are made about prosecuting cases from political decisions. And in fact, there have been memos issued in every administration that U.S. attorneys and others are not to communicate with the White House, lest they be seen as acting out of political interests as opposed to facts and law. And so the Department of Justice is supposed to base its decisions 
on investigations and the rule of law and not on any political favor. And so when the president interferes, it disrupts that commitment to the rule of law. Even the appearance of it, the way this took place of changing positions after the president's tweet undermines the effectiveness of the Department of Justice because it causes the public to doubt that the Department of Justice is acting independently. Hmm. So uh, there, you tweeted yesterday that you think the U.S. attorney in D.C. ought to resign. You said he's either in charge of his own office or he's a pawn of the president. Both are in, or he's either not in charge of his own office or is a pawn of the president. Both are intolerable. Talk about why you think that U.S. attorney can't keep that appointment. So the U.S. attorney, a man named Timothy Shea, until last week, he was a close aide of William Barr at the Department of Justice in the attorney general's office. Last week, the U.S. attorney in uh, D.C. was nominated by President Trump to serve as an undersecretary of Treasury. And in an unusual move, she was removed immediately from her job as U.S. attorney, even though she's still awaiting Senate confirmation for the new Treasury job. And in the meantime, William Barr himself installed Timothy Shea as the U.S. attorney there. Just yesterday, President Trump withdrew the nomination of the former U.S. attorney, Jesse Liu, for the Treasury Department. So she's just out, and William Barr's person is installed. One of my friends, a former uh, DOJ employee, said, it looks like Jesse Liu got the old okey-doke. So she just got pulled out and quietly this man, Timothy Shea, was put in place. But in, in response to your question about my tweet, what it suggests is either he's just taking orders from the president, which, as we talked about, undermines the independence of the Justice Department, or his prosecutors went off and filed this thing without his knowledge, hmm. which is no way to run a U.S. attorney's office, and I find very hard to believe, especially in light of their resignation. And so either of those scenarios means he's a failed leader, but it seems most likely that his filing, second filing, came in response to this tweet by President Trump, and that the very reason he's there is because he's the the hand-picked pawn of William Barr. I'm talking with Barb McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. We're talking about what happened at the Department of Justice yesterday, where we saw the president apparently interfere in a sentencing recommendation for his close political confidant, Roger Stone. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us if you have confidence in our federal justice department to pursue the law independent of political pressure from the White House or elsewhere. This is not the first time that we have had this discussion about the way that the Trump administration interacts with the Justice Department. What's your reaction to what's happening right now with the Roger Stone case, but how do you think it fits into that larger narrative? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi. Um, first, I, I wonder uh, who the judge is going to impose the sentences, and is he a Trump appointee? That might be interesting. Um, and then, two, uh, this guy Roger Stone has, I would imagine, a whole ton of dirt on, on the president. He was, you know, Roy Cohen's protege. He took over for Roy when he left, and. This guy, along with Paul Manafort, you know, engineered a lot of the dirty tricks that were played in the last election and probably a whole lot more. And, 
he's got to be nice to this guy or this guy could probably, you know, come out with some stuff that would really uh, derail Trump and his presidency. Hmm. Uh, Charlie, those are great points. Both of them great questions. Before I ask Bar McQuaid to answer them or address them, though, I, I want to just note that this is precisely the problem with what is happening. Your question about who the judge is in this case and who appointed that judge is is indicative of the kind of erosion of confidence in the justice system that this kind of activity uh, inspires. It should not matter who appointed the judge who is overseeing the Roger Stone case. That it, it should have no bearing at all on the way that justice is carried out. But I think your question is is a sign that for a lot of people, the things that have been happening really undermine uh, that that principle and and have added this suspicion of political inf- interference in lots of different ways. But Barbara McQuaid, I'll let you go ahead and uh, and answer Charlie. I, I agree with your point, Stephen, that um, you know Chief Justice John Roberts said about a year ago in response to President Trump's many attacks on people as Obama judges or Clinton judges, um, that there are no Obama, ju- Obama judges, there are no Trump judges, they're all uh, United States judges, and they're there to uh, apply the law um, and, and follow the rule of law. And so the judge in this instance is a, a judge named Amy Berman Jackson, and one of the things that was included in the sentencing memo that sought this within-guideline sentence of seven to nine years um, was a recitation of all the things Roger Stone did in the underlying case, which was threatened to kill a witness, lie to Congress five times, um, interfere with its investigation by causing it to um, fail to be able to obtain certain documents and witnesses that it otherwise would have had if he had told the truth. But in addition, you may recall that during the time he was awaiting trial, he repeatedly violated Judge Jackson's orders not to talk about the case. There was a gag order in the case because he was very active on social media talking about the miscarriage of justice and the like, and even tweeting uh, or posting somewhere on social media a photo of her face uh, over uh, the the crosshairs of a gun, um, which, you know, I don't know what he was trying to suggest there at the worst interpretation, perhaps uh, suggesting that somebody ought to shoot her. Um, And so all of that activity combined um, certainly merits at least a sentence within the sentencing guidelines, if not not higher than the sentencing guidelines. And so to come back and suggest that the sentence ought to be something lower uh, is really, in my view, an outrageous position to take in the case. Um, But to to the other point that Roger Stone is someone who knows uh, where – uh, you know, the dirt on President Trump, uh, no doubt they're close friends and confidants. And so President Trump's efforts to take good care of Roger Stone, I think, could be perceived by many as obstruction of justice, of preventing him from cooperating with authorities. Well, someone in Roger Stone's position could cooperate up until the time he is sentenced and even up until a year after he is sentenced for a reduction in his sentence. If he gets a, a, a lenient sentence, loses any incentive he might have to cooperate. And Mm. so not only is President Trump taking care of his friend, he's taking care of himself. Mm. Uh, Again, Charlie, I really appreciate the call uh, and and the questions. Let's go to Barbara in Detroit. Barbara, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi. I wanted to make uh, a comment. I had a comment and a question. Uh, When Michael Cohen testified, 
he made the statement that Donald Trump never directly asked you to do things, illegal things, but he had a way of communicating it to to him. And I think that tweet to uh, was a, a, a direction to bar what he wanted done. And also, my question is, what do you do if your attorney general is crooked? What legal recourse do the people have? Hmm. Uh, great questions, Barbara. Uh, Barbara McQuaid, uh, what do we do about these these things that are happening? Is there any recourse? Yeah, I agree with Barbara's observation about when people are sophisticated criminals, they don't need to overtly direct their underlings to engage in criminal behavior. Hmm. Um, they know how to speak in code and vague terms. You see it all the time in public corruption cases and organized crime cases. But what can you do with uh, a corrupt attorney general. One remedy is he can be impeached. If the president himself won't uh, fire him, he can be impeached. Cabinet officials um, and judges, just in the same way a president can be, can be impeached. Although I think we have seen after the impeachment of President Trump and the trial he got in the Senate that it does not appear that Senate Republicans are prepared to do their job in holding officials accountable. Um, also, I don't know that William Barr is violating the law. He is violating norms, but he is a very savvy person. He is very careful, I think. Um, if you look at his public statements, if you look at his testimony before Congress, you will hear that he chooses his words very carefully. He doesn't lie, but I think he misleads. You might remember that exchange he had with Kamala Harris about uh, whether anyone from uh, the White House had ever suggested uh, the initiation of an investigation. And he paused and said, I'm struggling with the word suggest. <laughs> and then she asked, all right, tell you, state, direct, demand, imply, any of those things. And he's very careful in, in choosing his words. And so I don't know that you could find that he has violated the law per se, um, but no doubt he has done President Trump's bidding from the very moment he began with the way he spun Robert Mueller's report uh, to the way he has accused uh, the FBI of spying on political campaigns, um, and now to his installation of a close ally to run the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, where we still have to await the sentencing of Michael Flynn. Um, we saw a change in the position there in the sentencing recommendation from prison time to probation, mm -hmm. and um, what to do about the investigation of former acting FBI Director Andrew McCabe, who still has a pending case that has not yet been indicted. And so um, we may see some directives going from a direct pipeline there. So I think that um, when you have someone who is in the president's cabinet who you distrust, the best remedy is to vote that president out of office. Okay. Barb McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan and former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Nice talking with you. Up next, we're going to talk about the New Hampshire primary and what the results from the first two nominating contests mean for the rest of this election cycle. Stay with us on Detroit Today.